I think I've got it. Pocket number eight. Right here. Let's get to work. Um, it is featuring one of our confidants, friends. Uh, an educator, Professor Ava Nguyen, who is a professor of communications at Chafee College. Uh, this conversation was really important to us because it allowed just Uni and I to sit back and to listen and to take in. I think with the work that we're trying to do, there always needs to be a lot of learning and perspective expanding and taking in wisdom um, from those that know more have different experiences, have different perspectives. And with Ava, she's an educator through and through. Um, she's well-educated herself, tons of research, um, but she seeks to really teach people. Um, she's, she has a lot of compassion, um, does not use a lot of judgments, um, doesn't judge. And she goes through, I think, seeing many different sides of a topic, of a conversation, and of an issue. And think at, at, at the end of the day um i don't want to take too much time but just to just to sit and listen if you have um it's we spoke for about over an hour and a half but we tried to cut it down to about 30 35 minutes just because she speaks with so much great content um she'll be at our camp out july 5 to 7 in angeles national forest if you want to go please check out our ig link is there you can just type out ex camp out into google but she'll be doing a workshop on community storytelling um which I will be there for sure. So um, without further ado, please check out the conversation. Here is Ava. This is EX in your pocket number eight. What's up? This is Ray. This one is a really, really fruitful, mind-filling, soul-filling conversation with our friend and confidant, Professor Ava Nguyen. She's a professor of communications at Chafee College and just powerful intelligent wise woman who we respect shit out of because of her uh, her role as an educator um, and someone who is constantly teaching us with her perspectives and if you have you know the next 35 minutes please i invite you to listen and to just take in to learn to challenge your own perspectives and notions on things uh, we spoke for over an hour and a half and it was just a great learning experience um, for Uni and I to just sit and to take in. And we're all the better for it, especially the men out there. It's a great listen for you. We speak about feminism, discourse, and the other topics just around that that are topical today in America. Um, I don't want to speak too much as she really brings it. Uh, and just a side note, before we jump into it, Ava will be at our campout, so EX campout, July 5 to 7 in the Angeles National Forest. She will be there doing a community storytelling workshop. So if you're interested, check it out. It'll be linked and it's all over our IG or you can just Google EX campout. But without further ado, here is Professor Ava Nguyen. Actually, if you can be the close, yeah, you two can be the closest. Yay! So you're, you're check, check. 
Check. Hello. <laughs> Hi. There you go. Hey, Ava. Hi, Uni. Yeah. So we're gone. So we'll pretty much just okay. have the conversation, and then okay. we will jump in and out of Let's everything. Let's do it. So then if you want to just kind of share your what, your personal what and why to these days of Ava. Right now, my, my biggest what is just um, kind of getting my career to match more with what um, I want to get out of it. And so um, for me, because I've been um, teaching for a little while now, I want, I'm, I'm starting to be a lot more introspective on what am I bringing into the classroom? What are my students getting out of it? What are my colleagues getting out of me being on campus? Um, and, and what kind of conversations can I start inside and outside of the classroom um, to help us kind of move um, as a community towards a better place? Because especially after the 2016 election, I didn't notice it. I don't think anyone really did. Um, but how um, divided, not, I don't think we are divided as a nation. I think we're divided as a community in the way we talk to each other. Mm. Um, the way we approach conversations with one another is through division. And so um, that's been my big piece right now. Um, and I also am trying to personally wrestle a lot with my frustrations when it comes to um, what I kind of perceive as a war on um, certain ideologies and a war on, on facts and science. Um, I've, I've experienced much more resistance in my classroom, um, even when I present things that are scientifically based or research based. And so I'm working through my emotions and how do I communicate things like feminism or racism without um, getting people defensive and making it purely from an educational and empowering standpoint. Not that I'm just telling you what these things are, but that I can empower you to do something with these ideas. Uh, how would you define feminism in the most, in those simplest terms? for you to be able to have that discourse with people? Feminism is an acceptance of all gender presentation and an acknowledgement of all gender rights. Um, and, and not just a tolerance of it, but um, a creation of space where gender, all genders can um, express themselves. Because the antithesis of um, empowerment is oppression, right? So we have racial oppression, gender oppression. And oppression is um, as one of my professors defined it, anytime you feel you can't be yourself mm. for any reason. Um, and so I think that feminism is when we allow genders to just be themselves, right, without interruption. Um, I always tell people that I'm very privileged and that the way I'm comfortable with presenting my gender just happens to be how society accepts mm. females, right? Mm. I have long hair and I wear makeup and skirts and heels and I, I do my nails and those are all things that I personally choose to do and they just so happen to align with society's expectations mm. of what I should do. So I kind of move through this world with this unknown privilege that people don't question me when I go into the bathroom and people don't question me and my femininity um, and I don't have to answer to that um, whereas other people do, right? Even a woman that... Um, you know, people would label her as a tomboy, for example, right? She um, kind of gets set up with different standards because she doesn't match or dress or act or perform as the way that we expect the female gender to perform. Mm -hmm. Performing, that's such an interesting yes. concept. Yeah. That, it, like, it's really interesting and, uh, and you're doing this through the lens of, like, as a communications professor, mm -hmm. essentially, right? How do you, for you in, in that space, um, do you find it difficult or like putting that lens on it being a communications professor or do you feel like that's like a duty or a piece tied back to your um, your like why 
I feel like it's a duty because I feel that we are more and more operating under our own systemic oppression. Um, when we don't have the access to education and knowledge and experience that we need to break free from it. Um, when my students say things like, well, I think there's only two genders. What I hear is that no one really gave them this information, mm -hmm. that it is impossible to only have two genders, mm -hmm. that gender representation and expression has changed so much. I mean, even if you look at, um, you know, the irony is that we study American history, for example. And in American history, you'll see those pictures of, you know, our founding fathers in wigs and makeup and heels and high heels were originally created for men, right? And I point to that and say, do you see how back then that was masculine, right? That, but right now you would not get caught dead wearing a wig, sh shoes with high heels and bows on them and tights, right? You wouldn't yeah. do that because right now we don't consider that masculine. And those changing descriptions of what is masculine and feminine point to the fact that there is no natural connection between our biology and our gender, but we've only allowed it to be so because it's so much easier for us to think in binaries. It's so much more comfortable for us to do that because the moment we get out of a binary, we get uncomfortable because there's too many nuances in there for us to try to wrap our brains around. Yeah. And so for me, even getting into feminism means that I have to touch on the fact that the feminism of the late 18th century was fantastic. But it doesn't mean that, okay, we have the suffragettes and, you know, we um, now have voting rights and we can be more than secretaries and yay us as women. And at the same time, we still have a lot of inequity as far as genders in society. When people say, well, what more do women want? You can, you know, get an education and get a job and do this and do that. You're, you're equal now. And I get a little frustrated because I, and again, I have to check myself, but I, I get a little frustrated when I hear that because would you say, for example, just because Martin Luther King Jr. led the civil rights movement that there is no more racism? Of course not, right? Mm -hmm. So it is fantastic that we had that, that movement, but that doesn't also mean that we're free of all sexism and gender discrimination in society either. So yes, right now I can get any career I want and go into any field that I desire as a woman. And at the same time, I face incredible difficulties, particularly depending on the career I choose to get into. It hurts me to know that sometimes when I have my students that you know are female and wanna be biologists or chemists, that they're gonna be up against it when they get in their fields. I know they will, I don't tell them that, but internally it hurts me because I know they're so talented and so smart, but they're gonna be set up with different standards when they get to those fields. Um, solely on being a Solely woman. on being a woman because STEM is primarily male-driven. Um, and so them trying to insert themselves and change that flow means that they're gonna have other obstacles up against them that are unseen and unheard and untalked about that are going to challenge them and maybe prevent them from kind of being in environments where they can be their best selves. Um, studies have even shown in my field that overwhelmingly students um, across the board, male, female, no matter what age, have higher standards for female instructors than they do male instructors. Mm -hmm. um, there was a study done where they found that um, they, they had an online class and the class was taught by a female, but she had two different sections. So she named one Mr., you know, her last name, Mr. Smith, and then Mrs. Smith, right? Um, and she 
ran both classes the same way, but the class that thought she was a male credited her as being intelligent and capable and smart and um, able to teach the class. Mm -hmm. Whereas her student reviews in the class that knew she was female were a little bit more critical and mm -hmm. asked for more, wish she would be more nurturing or wish she would be more or felt that she could uh, have gone to school more, been mm -hmm. more intelligent. Mm -hmm. And so even for me, knowing that I might sometimes be viewed in a different light and a different standard because just because I present as feminism, feminine, um, you know, isn't kind of untold issue that we don't talk about. Um, and outside of that, I think there's things that, that tie into gender oppression that we even more don't want to talk about. Mm -hmm. Like I said, oppression is anytime you can't be yourself. I can't be myself when I'm walking off campus at night in the parking lot. I have to, I make sure I walk with someone else. I make sure I have my pepper spray. I make sure I do all these things to protect my safety. Why do I, I would love to just walk to my car like a normal everyday person, um, but I can't because society has tasked me with making sure I don't get raped rather than telling rapists not to rape, mm -hmm. right? And those are things we don't talk about and this is why we need modern feminism more than ever because yes, it's great that I have, you know, um, all these other rights that I didn't, that women didn't have in this country, you know, before the late 18th century. But Malcolm X said, you can't put a knife in my back five inches and pull it out two inches and tell me like everything's okay now. Mm -hmm. We've made progress. That doesn't mean that we can't make more progress. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, gender intersects with race, right? Um, feminism, as it was kind of birthed in the United States, was for white women. It was for white women who wanted um, to expand their rights, which mm. is fantastic. And at the same time, it left a lot of women of color and their needs, you know, mm. totally um, uh, not included. For example, um, there was a Sports Illustrated um, cover, um, first supermodel ever to uh, recently um, model be on the cover in a burkini, right, fully yeah. covered. Yeah. And I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. I thought it was awesome. I applauded Sports Illustrated for being so inclusive and kind of ex allowing different forms of femininity to express yeah. themselves. And I remember going on Instagram and reading the comments and hearing people say, well, sh we shouldn't be celebrating this. She's very oppressed and she has to cover herself. And that's a form mm -hmm. of, um, you know, oppression. And I thought it was really interesting that we were deciding mm -hmm. what was oppressive for mm -hmm. her mm -hmm. in that instance, when mm -hmm. I know a lot of my, uh, women, my female colleagues who do wear the hijab or do cover themselves, look to American women and say, poor you, you guys are so oppressed mm. that you must sell your bodies all the time mm. in order to be seen as valuable, right? Mm. Um, a lot of our advertising has to do with the selling of women's bodies and sexuality, yeah. right? Look at perfume commercials, makeup commercials, yeah. all of those have women kind of that are considered social, you know, by society standards, beautiful and, yeah. and bare and exposed. And so they look to us as we are oppressing ourselves, mm. so we have to sell ourselves that way, mm. right? Um, my mother grew up with this worry that um, I would, you know, get an abusive husband and that I would um, not be able to realize my potential. Why would she worry about that, right? Yeah. She worried about that um, because there are still long strides that need to be made in different societies and cultures when it comes to gender representation. So while, you know, a white woman might be worried about equal pay, 
women like my mother who are Asian women who are immigrants who are raising children are worried about vastly different things. Yeah. My mother, she didn't tell me till I was older, but she never remarried because she was terrified at the idea of bringing a man into the home and what that would do to me. Mm. And she was terrified of the idea that, um, to put it frankly, that I would become a target of a sexual assault if I brought she brought a man into the home because the way she saw it was Ava I would be aging and you would be growing into a young woman mm. how would I feel as a mother if I allowed you to be in that situation mm -hmm. so she just didn't date at all mm. wow. at all and stayed yeah. completely single her whole life and um again that's not a worry that that every woman has that's a worry that comes from years and years and years of her living in a world where that was okay and that was acceptable and that was very commonplace um for sexual assault to just be normalized in that way right um and so for me that's that's kind of where the the focal point is is having these conversations where we can understand each other's um different needs um yeah. as it as it pairs with our identities it's interesting especially with like discourse in the mm -hmm. country these days just like with the, with the overload of information of people's capacity to examine issues, they might not be able to humanize themselves. Because I feel like with EX, like that's one of the things we talk about, like we humanize things. And like once you humanize something, it's very hard to be judgmental about it. It's very hard to hate it. Um, it's like when you talk about there are these issues and, and the nuance within it, how do you, what is your like strategy or how do you go about helping to humanize that for people where, um, like to your friend, like if you're talking about the difference between transgender versus someone who identifies as gay and likes to dress and, dress, drag. Dress and drag, like how do you create like a priority for that or create, able to create a space for people to have that time for themselves amongst many other things it, like within their lives? Because we always think about some of the things we do, like with uni doing stuff in Skid Row, where it's very hard sometimes because do people not see themselves in that or do they not humanize it? And that's why more people aren't coming out. Um, because I think that's a very topical thing we think about is like, how do you make certain issues that um, might not seem important to somebody become humanized and actually have a place in their consciousness as they're like growing as humans? Um, first off, I want to say that the, one of the things that's always drawn me to EICE is that a lot of your practices are, are research-based. Um, one of the big uh, uh, set of researchers in my field of intercultural comm, Goody Kunst and Kim, they have found time and again that the number one um, deterrent of whether or not people are going to hold biases against other groups of people is whether or not they know someone from that group. Mm. Um, and that interpersonal relationships will always trump intercultural differences mm. um, and what that means is that even if you meet someone who doesn't even speak the same language as you if you develop that interpersonal connection your intercultural factors in that interaction become kind of moot like they don't mm. really matter anymore they're not as prominent in your communication and in your relationship building and so i think that the, the biggest key is how do we then set up a community or a society where people, for example, when it comes to Skid Row, have those opportunities to interact with homeless individuals mm -hmm. um, and see them as human, right? And see them as me, right? This mm -hmm. could be me, this is me, I am you, you are me. And I think even to get people to that end goal is really tough, as you said, because 
Um, I, and I think the biggest issue is, is that we love to compartmentalize and we juggle that with the logical inconsistencies of wanting to be a good person. Mm. One of the biggest um, forces that perpetuates oppression of any kind is a human being's desire to be a good person. I'm not racist because I'm a good person. I'm not sexist because I'm a good person, right? I'm not, I, t I would help the homeless. I'm a good person. And so that desire to see ourselves as good people, right? Mm -hmm. Blinds us to a lot of the problems that actually occur. Um, and a lot of the ways that we participate in them, right? Um, I'm a huge advocate, for example, for economic equality and, and, and allowing it, um, other countries, um, impoverished countries to be economically empowered. And yet I buy clothes from companies that probably own sweatshops and, you know, and I, so I participate in a lot of these mm -hmm. systems, right? Whether, even though they're not of my doing. And so a big part of it is when you try to get people to show up to a Skid Row event, for example, there's so much more, there's so much work that has to be done before that to even get them into the mindset yeah. of, of getting there, right? And the first thing, in my opinion, is to get rid of that whole, I'm a good person hmm. desire. You have to get rid of it. And it's a big part of your ego, right? We mm -hmm. all want to see ourselves as good people. Um, but to say, to, to be ready to give that up and to mm -hmm. say, you know what, you know, I, I want to be a good person and here's how I can do it. When it comes to populations such as the homeless, for example, it's super easy for that logic to apply. You could see a homeless person and say, oh, that person's homeless. But then you can rationalize it by saying, well, I worked really hard and I make sure I'm not homeless. So they must have not done something in their lives right to be homeless. It's super easy to kind of separate ourselves from that because, again, it's all rooted in, but I'm a good person, right? So I'm... It's, it's fine that I don't interact with them because I'm a good person and they weren't a good person, so they deserve what they got, mm -hmm. right? And so all of that stems from this desire to protect our self-concept, to protect what we think of ourselves, mm -hmm. right? Um, and the moment you start chipping away at that self-concept, that's where we get that anger and that self-defensiveness and that desire to just disconnect from it and say that this is not my problem, right? This is not my doing. Mm. That interpersonal piece, mm -hmm. that's so... <clears throat> I, mean, I always think like <clears throat> it takes for someone to experience something firsthand until they're for them to be moved to like actually become more involved in whatever that issue is so you know if you take gun rights for example it's not until like uh you know you have a family member or you know a neighbor who's a kid went through a, some sort of school shooting scare or was actually like experiencing something something like that some sort of gun violence in the school that then you start to like maybe fundraise for gun gun rights or you start to become more active and uh, I, I'm always very like I always ponder the idea of how do you get someone to become more interested in involving themselves in whatever issue right because I think we all have different um, levers and things that pull us into wanting to become more active it's just a matter of like figuring out what that is for yourself but in general just getting people to become more engaged in helping solve whatever issue it might be before tragedy knocks at your door right before someone you know you know experiences uh, some severe degree of 
marginalization or becomes homeless or you know is murdered or you know like the whole black lives matter movement i'm like we sit in our like bubbles of uh comfort comfortability right because it's not it's not knocking at our door so we can choose to not engage and we maybe follow social media accounts or we turn on the news and we see these things and we like maybe feel bad about it for a second but then it's not until you have that real first-hand experience with someone who's experiencing that and you develop those like heartstrings for that that then you'll then become um, maybe it's it's about time like you then start to spend your time moving in that direction of wanting to become more involved but it's always like a how do you get how do you get someone moving in that direction before something tragic happens and and that's the tough part too because living in a multicultural world is always difficult right um and i think that's why it's so easy for us to default to this isn't my problem or this is that other person's problem because we we only care about what's in our immediate reality um, I've heard for a lot of times that, you know, empathy is kind of going to be the key and um, the thing that'll take us to a better place. And I think it will. However, empathy has such a short reach, in my view. Mm-hmm. We can only empathize with things that we care about, right? Um, even looking, for example, at the ways um, animal activists at, at work, right? The World Wildlife Fund has what animal as its symbol, as its, like, representation, <coughs> panda, because pandas are cute and mm-hmm. you want to save pandas and you look at a panda and you're like, that's so cute. Let, please let me save it. But they won't have a snake or an ugly frog or something as the forefront of their marketing because no one's going to care about those things, even though objectively snakes and frogs have just as much, if not more importance than pandas when it comes to preserving ecosystems. So our perception as humans is so limited in the sense that we really only care about what is immediately in our reality. Mm-hmm. So the key then is you have to invite more into your reality mm-hmm. for it to be widened. And the, the how you do that is through education, yeah. in my view, mm-hmm. um, reason and logic. Um, I mean, there's so many times when we, for example, see a, a mass shooting and we're like, oh, that sucks. And we stop for a second and say, oh, that sucks. And we might have one conversation about it and then we move on because it didn't happen to us. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't think that's bad. I don't think we should feel bad for that because... That's the nature of who we are. Um, But I think we should feel bad when we aren't actively taking steps to um, mitigate oppression when we do see it in our realities, right? Um, And so, yeah, that's a good point. I want to really appreciate um, how how expansive your, just your desire to know about things and to dive deeper in learning how humans can communicate better and um you seem very engaged in a lot of topics you know i think they're all rooted in a similar like common denominator but for my own mental health i sometimes i I have to like turn off the macro because it feels so overwhelming and um it can really kind of like mess with like my just my spirit and like how Mm -hmm. i feel um Versus, like, when I, let's say, if I go to Skid Row, like, three weekends in a row, I feel really, like, engaged in, like, that, right? So, like, kind of, like, what I'm consuming and how much of what I'm consuming will then kind of feed me and um, inform maybe how I feel or what I'm thinking about in in that moment in time. Um, I'm curious, like, in just Ava as the human, right? Like, how are you able to sustain this level of 
um, engagement and then what are you doing to like take care of yourself and like you know what type of Instagram accounts do you follow right like is mm -hmm. it all like activism work or are you following like things like I don't know comedians or like you know what are those yeah. what's that balance for yourself um, yeah and I know we've talked about this even about like controlling your consumption because I have what I call blackout days um, I've designated days in the week where I do not listen to any news, any, like, nothing. Like, I consume nothing. So I have a long drive to work, and oftentimes I'll listen to the news and updates on what's happened. And especially in the era of Trump, I feel like everything, like, every day another thing has happened, or yeah. he's tweeted another thing or said another thing, and and it, it sparks all these conversations, and it's exhausting. Yeah, It's so much cognitive and emotional energy to process what's been going on. Um, I think it's quite serendipitous that I asked Ray to talk about feminism and just this week Alabama passed that that law, right? Yeah. Um, and that this week was a, a week where I had to add in an extra blackout day. Um, so I have about three days in the week mm. where I just don't consume any news of any kind. Mm. Um, and I had to add another day because it was just it was exhausting for me. Um, and it's frustrating, um, you know, and and. For me, it, 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 I think that having those blackout times where I, I know, like, okay, like, I'll get back to this in a second. Mm. I think being able to leave something and say, I will get back to you in a second, like, when I'm ready, um, is taking care of yourself for the long haul. I think in our society, because we have such a negative stigma associated with mental health, we see that as weakness. Oh, you can't handle all of this. Yeah. No, I'm not it's here. I've invited it into my home, into my mind, into my space. I'm just leaving it here because I'm not ready to deal with it yet. And recognizing that you're not ready to deal with it, I think is the best form of strength because that means you know when you get back to it, you're giving your best to it. And I think we also, like you said, you have to be aware of what makes us happy. I'll agree with you that when I'm one-on-one -on -one with students or when I'm with you guys or when I'm doing other things that I personally enjoy, I'm so much happier and enriched as a person. Um, I don't really want to hear, like, for example, I, I read a news story and it just, like, put me in a mood the whole day about, like, a three-year-old that was raped by her cousin. Um, I forget what country it was. And, like, it was horrible. Like, like your own family member and being three and, like, all these other things. And it just, like, messed me up the whole day. Yeah, yeah. And recognizing that I have to care about this and there's only, but there's only so much space and time I can give to it. Um, I think that's important and I don't think we should be made to feel bad about it. Um, and I, that's a big reason why I follow a lot of dog accounts. Each of my dogs yeah. have their own account yeah. and I will switch, like I'll go off my own personal account and stay on Callie's account or Loki's account and I'll just look only at dogs. Like I only follow dogs yeah. and you have to kind of be, find ways to kind of, cut your own bubble of the internet out and yeah. have that space. Cause I don't, I don't think it's fair for human beings to have to be attacked by all of that all the time. Yeah. You know? Um, I, I think that it's, it's just not natural, especially with social media, yeah. the amount of information, like you want to get really depressed. Yeah. You can go on the news, the world news and read every single horrible, like none of those are yeah. happy stories. Like, yeah. you know? And so I think that, we have to cut ourselves off because yeah. if you don't, you're going to get so drained and then you're just going to become angry and like resentful and, or feel helpless. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and, and not have the energy to, to do something when it really matters yeah. because you're yeah. just tired. And, and when I heard about what happened in Alabama, I was just frustrated because again, from an educational standpoint, it's like, you're not 
basing your decision in science. Like, I hate that they even call it the heartbeat bill because that's such a rhetorical piece of crap because mm-hmm. you can detect a baby's heartbeat at six to seven weeks, which is only a little over a month. Yeah. And most women barely just found out they were pregnant. Like, because mm-hmm. you don't, you, you unless you skip your period for a month, that's when you start to realize, oh, maybe I might be pregnant. But th- it's just not realistic to base it off a heartbeat. And even then, the hypocrisy of it, there was a, an interview with one of the senators and the interviewer asked, well, what about zygotes in labs, you know, that people yeah. create in labs for, you know, for people who um, want designer babies or have uh, difficulty conceiving, you know, they'll conceive outside of the womb and then insert into the womb, right? They're like, what about those? And they're like, oh, that's different. And he literally said, because it's not in a woman. So to me, all I hear yeah. is you just want to control like what women's bodies do, like that you don't really care, yeah. like. Yeah. And then to hear that Alabama's like fiftieth in education, and that they have all these other issues yeah. about living, breathing children that don't have actual resources that they need to yeah. succeed, but you care about this unborn group of individuals yeah. more than the born group of individuals, yeah. like yeah. it drove me absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, and again, it made me realize that you're, you know, it's it's. There's definitely sexism at play. There's gender politics at play. There's power issues at play, um, you know, and that really drained me the whole week thinking of, you know, gosh, like what would happen if like a young teenager was like, God forbid, raped by, you know, someone got pregnant. She has to deliver. That's it. Like she just has to deliver it or she has to, if she's lucky, have the money and ability to go to another state that would allow her that like. It just blew my mind that 25 people's decisions have now, like, made so many more people's lives, like, far more complex and worse than they need to be. And and that really drained, all last week drained me. Mm -hmm. So even then I had to add, like, another blackout day where I just, you know, go biking with my dog or do something where I purposely won't take my phone with me to certain places because you have to, you have to cut it off. And again, it's about, like, I will, but I'm going to set it here. And I'm going to leave it here yeah. and I'll get back to it, you know? Yeah. One thing that we're working on right now is, um, we actually just got our first grant. Yeah. 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 And, um, we are working on, it's for the, it's like the LA department of mental health, but we went to a conference recently about, um, it was like a mental health summit specifically geared for the Filipino American community. Um, but a, a range of topics around mental health, but kind of the underlying thing was like, breaking the stigma around mental health and actually especially like I think immigrant communities Mm -hmm. there's not a strong focus on mental health and um we met some really great people there and um it was such a fruitful just like day of deepening our learning even right now what we're doing I think is just getting out of our comfort zone and starting to learn more about um, people's experiences and just other people's expertises that can inform how we then can create space and um, continue to deepen our practice and being just better at what we're doing mm-hmm. and can reach more people that are like outside of the um, the, the norms of like who we are right mm-hmm. like we're like two straight male Asians you know mm-hmm. it's like okay how do we get outside of that and get out of our comfort zone and so going to that conference was really cool and um, with this grant we're trying to work on this um, dinner you know like Rectangle and Marco mm-hmm. or Ralph and Marco they do mm-hmm. Rectangle and they do like the Kamayan feast mm-hmm. And um, using that as a way to bring people together to break bread that all work in mental health. Even, like, you would be considered someone like that, you know? Someone who deals with 
um, other serving other people in their mental health, right? And um, bringing those people together to break bread to then like be in community to see what could happen if like people were to like maybe more like interdisciplinarily like make connections and um, build a community around that. But then also like the idea of like who's who is helping the people like you, right? Like there's a lot of services out there for service providers for their people that they're providing but then you know burnout is a real thing and like how do we take care of the people that are helping others right and just know that like what you're doing and just this conversation we're spending a sunday you know like mm-hmm. a sunday doing this like it's so uh, nourishing and um yeah take care of your mental health like i hope we can continue to take care of each other and it's so important and that's why i love eig so much because i feel like you know, the moment I got here, even though I didn't know you guys that well at first, I was like, I feel very comfortable here. Like, I don't feel like I have to um, fake it in a lot of other ways that I think we all have to fake it to a certain extent in our careers or around specific people, right? And not having to fake it and to be um, myself is really important. Um, one of the things I'll always appreciate um, is that uh, I have friends like you that will remind me that I don't have to be sorry for everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one time, you know, I like, bumped into you or like something like that and I did something socially awkward as normal and then I said sorry and you were like, oh, it's okay, you don't have to be sorry. And even just hearing you say like, oh, you don't have to be sorry, like help is helping me work through like my own problems, right? Mm-hmm. And my own internalized oppressive behaviors that I do to myself, mm-hmm. right? And recognizing where they come from and letting them go. Um, and I think that at, at the end of the day, too, when it comes to um, building community, that's that that should be what it's about, right? Is is helping people connect with other people where we can both work through, not fix each other, mm-hmm. but see use other people as a mirror to fix ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's where again, right, that that shaming culture comes mm-hmm. from because people think it's like this one to one, like I'm gonna tell you what's wrong with you, and you're gonna fix yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where it really should be that we should be in conversation so we can be mirrors for one another, so we can work through our own self. It leads for a better understanding of yourself and other people. Oh, I think I've got it. Courage, and wonder. Courage, compassion, and wonder. Courage, compassion, wonder. Flow, mistakes, wonders. Love, growth. Courage, compassion, wonder. Flow, mistakes, wonders. Love, growth. This is the Ike's in your pocket. Let's get to work.